Reader's Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. And we're sending lots of love over to our friends in the UK today. And it just happened to time out that uh, Peter James and I were trying to find a date and we couldn't have known this was going to happen. But uh, we have number one UK best-selling author Peter James with us today. If you've never read him before here in the US, you are in for such a treat. And he has a brand new book coming out, and I I can't wait for you to meet him. He's fantastic. So I'll read his bio here so you can get to know him, and then we'll we'll chat. Peter James is a UK number one best-selling author, best known for his Detective Superintendent Roy Grace series, which is now a hit. ITV drama starring John Sim as the troubled Brighton copper. He's much loved crime and thriller fans for his fast paced page turners full of unexpected plot twists, sinister characters, and accurate portrayal of modern day policing. He has won over 40 awards for his books, including the W.H. Smith Best Crime Author of All Time Award and the Crime Writers Association Diamond Dagger. To date, Peter has sold over 21 million copies worldwide and has been translated into 38 languages. His books have also been adapted for the stage, the most recent being Looking Good Dead. (laughs) So I did put a link to Peter's website right there on the Blog Talk site. So if you're listening live or if you're listening later, you can click that anytime and go check out. He has so much great content on his website. And you'll also find uh, his social media links so that you can get connected. So Peter, are you there? I am. I'm Thank you for that uh, very kind introduction. It's so great to have you back. (laughs) Likewise, likewise. It seems a long time. Well, you have, I know, right? And for people who haven't heard Peter and I before, the first time Peter came on, we both had books about the Holy Grail coming out. And then recently I had my first thriller come out called Perfect and I had sent it to Peter to for a possible cover quote and he told me that he has a DNA book also called Perfect People. So so we have a great connection. Yeah, no, I think I think we have to keep this going as well, you know. <laughs> Right? I think so, too. So do you want to tell everybody about Picture You Dead, the new book? Sure. Picture You Dead is it's kind of a, a story about everybody's dream of going to, I think you call them garage sales in America. We call them car boot sales yeah. in England. And this couple, mm-hmm. ordinary couple, she's a teacher, he's a small builder. And they buy a painting for about $20.00 because they like the frame. It's a horrible painting. It's a kind of wrinkly old woman's face, but a beautiful frame, and they think they'll cut the picture out and put something they really like in. And they take it home, and they leave it in bright sunlight for a few days, and they suddenly realize there's something underneath this painting. And they scrape off very carefully the surface painting, and there is this stunning landscape beneath it with kind of 
two beautiful people in it, and it looks very old. And there's a television show in England on every Sunday night called Antiques Roadshow. And you can take yes, it in England. Yes, we watch you, that here. Oh, right, great. So they take the painting to Antiques Roadshow, and the expert looks at it, and he says, look, he says, I, I can't tell you for sure this is 100% genuine, but it looks to me like a long-lost Fragonard painting from seven, around 1770. And if I tell you, the last Fragonard painting sold at auction for 17 million pounds. <gasps> and the story kind of then goes on into the world of what is uh, real in the art world and what is a forgery. And I got the idea for the book about... Seven years ago, I, I often use true life um, events or people that I meet who give me an idea. And I met a guy called David Henty, who is one of the world's number one art forgers. He, he even has a blue plaque on his house, which says the world's number one art forger, uh, which he forged himself. <laughs> um, I love it. David kind of came out of school and he, ha he realized he had a talent for drawing and he was on a ferry, a car ferry, and he overheard two customs officers say it was really hard to spot forged Irish car logbooks. So he started forging Irish logbooks. And then he read in 1996 that thousands of people were desperate to get out of Hong Kong before the handover from British ownership back to Chinese took place in 1997. Uh, so he started producing passports. And he was very good at it. He had, an order, he had orders for 3,000 at 1,000 pounds each. Wow. And this is back in 96. And he wow. bought a house. He had a full-on passport factory, binding, printing, dispatching. He just had one fatal flaw, which he wasn't very good at spelling. And there were two spelling mistakes <laughs> in the passport. That is quite appropriate oh, today. Oh, no! <laughs> because uh, one was he had spelled Britannic Majesty with only one N instead of two. And he spelled Majesty, M-A-G-E-S-T-Y, instead of <gasps> with a J. No! <laughs> uh, so they're in full swing. They're raking the money and he's put a £300,000 deposit on a castle in Scotland and suddenly his front door's kicked in and there's five, uh, five police officers and he gets five years in jail and he learns to paint in jail and discovers he's got a real talent for copying Modigliani, Picasso, Lowry but also some of the old masters. He can do wonderful Caravaggio and... Um, Rossetti and Turner, Constable, pretty well anybody. And wow. when he came out of prison, I, I, I sort of met him just after he was kind of, he'd been out a while, and, and he then got caught. Uh, after he came out of prison, all these long-lost Lauris and Modiglianis <laughs> uh, and Picasso started turning up on the art market. <laughs> uh, he was rearrested, goes back inside. <laughs> And he thinks to himself, you know what, there's, meanwhile, what, he's getting contacted by all kinds of celebrities, like Jeffrey Archer, one, and other television celebrities, really interested in buying his work. So he comes out of prison, and he, he decides to have an exhibition 
but of forgers, but putting his name on on the back. So they are very clearly, you know, it's Lowry, but by David Henty. And he asked me to open his exhibition, uh, which I did with my wife Lara. And he was so grateful to us. Um, he he gave me a Lowry, and we hung it on a wall at home. And we had this dinner party, and, and, and an art expert who was actually a director of Sotheby's came to dinner. He'd been a director of Sotheby's, came to dinner. And he looked at the Lowry, and he said, that's a really nice Lowry. And I said, oh, you, do you think it's uh, genuine? And he looked at it for about two minutes and said, yeah, I, I can't see anything that would make me think it wasn't genuine. I mean, that, that's how good Henty is. So I said wow. to David Henty, I said, David, could you forge... Could you forge a painting, let's say by Fragonard, from French painter 1770, could you forge one so well that even the world's authority on Fragonard could not tell it was a forgery? And he said, absolutely. And he told me how he'd do it. Um, and and it, it comes into place in, in the book, because David Henty, thinly disguised as Daniel Hegarty, is, is one of the main characters in the book. Um, but it, yeah. it, he was extraordinary. He told, he, I can tell you a little bit if you like. Yeah, sure. He said, "What I he's very clever." He said, "What I would do is he said I'd he said there's loads of old church paintings in France going back in time. I, I I've got an antique dealer friend in France, so I I would get him to buy me a church painting from around 1770. It probably cost me about four thousand pounds. Then I'd I'd scrub off the picture that was on it." and put a base of lead white, which is what the old masters used, and the advantage is you can't x-ray through it. Then I would get a smock from a clothing museum from around that period, so I'm not going to get any modern clothing fibers dropping into the paint. And, and in fact, I would deliberately wow. get some fibers smock into the paint, so if they carbon date it, they're going to show up. Uh, wow. And then I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't buy any paint. I I would mix the, my 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 pigments up from the original flowers and the cochineal beetle that Fragonard would have used himself. So there's no modern chemicals in in the paint. So then when I well, when I finished, I put it in front of a wood burning stove for two weeks. So it gets all the crackula. Uh, then I give it to this mate of mine who's another forger called Billy the Brush. He smokes 60 cigarettes a day. Um, so I leave it in his house for two, two months, and he gets a sort of pattern of, of, of nicotine on it, which makes it look look aged. Uh, then all I have to do is put some like fake sale room markings on the back, so it looks like it's been in and out of the sale rooms a few times. I get a get a decent frame for it, and there's loads of frames, and and there we go. And I thought I want to write about this, that, and that was the trigger for picture you did. <laughs> I love it, and I, I think it's fant- it's it's amazing that as writers we get sucked into these things. Like you are a fine art, you're a master now, <laughs> and, but, <laughs> but you may you know two years ago not even on your radar, right? No, I've, I've sort of become a an expert in the art world, and and. and... <laughs> You know, in a year's time, I'll have forgotten about it. But I, it, I love learning stuff. <laughs> right. I think you do too. I think, I think one mm-hmm. of the, I think for me, one of the joys of reading 
and and you know, and reading fiction is when I read an author who does do their research so that I'm not just getting a great thriller, but I'm actually learning something about something I knew nothing about previously. And I, I love that. And that's what I try to put in my books. Is you know, I've tried to fill the book with, with um, the, the excitement of the art world and the danger of it. Because, um, I mean, one of the things that David Henty said, that he, he has a lot of clients who are immensely wealthy people who have paintings worth 10, 20, 50 million pounds. And they don't want to pay wow. the insurance. What they do is they get him to do a really good copy and they put the copy on the wall, and they stick the original away in the bank vault. And I wow. said to David, have you ever been tempted to um, actually keep the original and give, uh, do two copies? And, and, <laughs> and he said, yes, yes, I, I've done it a few times. Uh, and, and he and another forger, they told me also, they used to go around country houses, like National Trust properties in England, in the days before CCTV cameras were everywhere, and they would photograph some of the paintings um, that they really liked and you know, high value, then they'd go back, they'd copy them, make good copies, even the, down to the frame, and then they'd sneak back in at some point and they'd swap them over. He said, if you go around some of the national properties in England, you're, you're going to be looking at some of my work. Oh my gosh. That's wild. <laughs> and, and, he also, and he told me how easy it is for forgeries to get in the market. I mean, the major London auction houses, I, I learned during my research, recommend 80% of pictures they get offered are fake. Wow. But, but he told wow. me he how, how easy this could happen. He gave me an example. It was only like three years ago. He's at a car boot sale. And he sees a painting by... An artist called Vanessa Bell. She was uh, Virginia Woolf's sister, and she was a, a, a named painter. She wasn't a, you know, a top-flight painter, but you know she was a second-tier painter. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, "I bought it for three pounds, say like two and a half dollars." And it obviously wasn't her. I didn't have her signature. But I went to a museum and I found one of her paintings, and it, she had a very simple signature, just V B. So I photographed it, took it home, I scrubbed off the signature on the painting. Put copy <laughs> BB, put a few chemicals on to age it, and then I put it on eBay and I said it might be Vanessa Bell. I sold it for eight hundred pounds, say about you know seven hundred dollars. Wow. Uh, a year later, <laughs> he says I'm in an art gallery in 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 Lewis in Sussex. Walk in and there is that painting, the one I mine, uh, genuine <laughs> Vanessa Bell, six thousand pounds. Wow. I had no idea that the art world has like its own economy. I I didn't realize that, you know, there's there's so many layers to it. I did not either. I I I, I guess it's because it attracts such there's such big money and big money attracts crooks. I guess. Right. Right. Know, if no, it was I, cheap, I, it wouldn't be worth knocking off, right? <laughs> no. I mean, there's another, I'll just tell you another brief, very funny story. This, this guy, Billy the Brush Mumford, who's David Henry's best friend and another big forger. And he, um, he told me that he, 
had lunch with him, and, and he was brilliant. And he said, uh, my favorite artist is, a, is an American Indian painter, he's, he's long dead, called Sousa, uh, I think Francois, Francis Sousa. And he, and he fetches very big money. And he said, the way it works is, I've got a runner. So I do a painting, I tell the runner how much I want, and off he goes, and if he gets some money, great. If not, I'll keep the painting. So I, I did this Sousa, and I told my runner I wanted 15,000 £15, for it, so about $12,000. And off he goes. And two weeks later, he comes back, £15,000 in cash, happy days. He goes off with the painting. Ten months later, I get a phone call. Uh, you know that painting what I, I flogged for you? Um, Billy said, yep. He said, a bit of a problem. It's in an auction in a, in a, bon I think a Sotheby's auction in Dubai for 1.5 million. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, the insurance started checking its provenance, and the next thing is, I uh, hit Billy gets seven years in jail. <laughs> so you can afford oh, something no. too <laughs> Wow. Wow. Whoops. <laughs> Wow. Well, what's what's next for Roy Grace? Do you already have it planned out of what's going to be the next detective mystery? Yes, I'm. I'm a. I'm Laura, my wife, we're both massive dog lovers, and the um, illegal trade in dogs caught fire during COVID uh, with, oh. with the price of uh, people getting mugged in the parks for their dogs. Uh, illegal breeders bringing in dogs. I mean, the wow. price of like a Springer Spaniel, which you could have bought for three hundred dollars three years ago, going up to up to seven eight thousand um, pounds. Wow! And, and designer designer dogs like blue French bulldogs in the right shade of colour, going for as much as twenty five thousand pounds. And it's wow! Uh, Organised crime gangs making more money. Um, out of the dog trade than out of drugs, and, and then drugs, if they get caught, they're looking at you know, 10 to 20 years in prison, uh, illegally breeding or stealing dogs two months. Wow. And when you write a Roy Grace story, is there a dead body or is it just the crime? There's normally a dead body. Um, there's... Okay. Two in picture you dead, and, and there's very certainly a, a, a dead body in this one too. Uh, I, I, I think I think people are fascinated by by, by death, and you know, I mm. think murder is the ultimate crime. It's you know what is right. What is you know, right? Well, and and also what would drive someone to go that far? You know. Yeah. You know, would you kill for a painting? You know, would you kill for a dog? Uh, and mm -hmm. the answer is, in cases, uh, and I know from my research, yes. Dang it. Wow. <laughs> do you know how many books you're going to have in the Roy Grace series, or do you just watch the news and keep the ideas coming? Could it keep going, you know, on and on, do you think? Yeah, I never I never set out with it. I mean, when I, when I originally started with Roy Grace, I had a... Con my publishers asked if I'd like to create a fictional detective, and I, I had a, a two-book deal. Um, and I thought, well, I'll introduce the mystery of his missing wife, Sandy, in book number one, and I'll explain what happened in book number two. And 
Dead Simple, which was the first book, came out, and I was just there was an, I had an explosion on, on social media and fan mail of people speculating what might have happened to Roy's missing wife Sandy, and I thought, you know, I can keep this going and have some fun. <laughs> and I, Fourteen books on, I was getting emails saying, "Look, uh, dear Mr. James, I'm, I'm terminally ill. Uh, please tell me what happened to Sandy. I promise I'll take it my secret to the grave." Tell me what happened to her life. <laughs> <laughs> And I had another one which said, Dear Mr. James, I'm, I'm, I've just worked out I'm a lot younger than you, so I'm, and I imagine I'm much fitter, which means you're going to die before me. I, um, I hope you've left the secret of what happened to Sandy safely in your publisher's vault. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, so now I'm writing, um, I'm, I'm, I've just written, working on, it's the 19th book, is the dog book. And I have, I mean, the, the day I, the day I think, Oh, actually, I'm not enjoying writing these, and, and my readers are not enjoying reading them. I think it's the day I'll do something different. But right now, I love it, and the, the sales are going up around the world, and the television is is. Oh, we beat Peaky Blinders. We had, we had the highest grace on television in England was the highest rated show uh, every every Sunday it was on. Um, it's on BritBox. You can get it on BritBox in, in the United States. BritBox. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask if we can stream it. If we can stream it over here. Yeah, there've been five. uh, There's five so far. They're in production with another three this year and another four next year. They're making this like two-hour movies. They're each of them self-contained. Oh, I see. And I was going to ask you: Has it? Was it? Was it? so amazing to see Roy Grace like flesh and blood on TV were you pinching yourself did it turn out the way you thought it would what was that like you know, I've, I've, had, uh, I've had previous books adapted and I was never happy with them but this adaptation of the Roy Grace novel is just a dream I, I, I sat it, it shows on a Sunday night which is prime time here kind of 8 till 10 o'clock uh, and I sat with my wife on the first one and I had tears in my eyes because the cast, uh, John Sim is just how I, cre- I how I imagine Roy Grace and I created him, and so is his colleague Glenn, and so is the woman he falls in love with who runs the mortuary, Cleo. Um, it, it reminded me, I remember once, years ago, when I had a, um, a, an earlier novel called Host. It was filmed in America by ABC Television, and I arrived on the set, which was in, uh, near Salt Lake City, and it was, uh, one of the actors, um, it was Peter Gallagher, who was in the OC for a long time, he turned to me and he said, you must feel like God. <laughs> I said, how come? <laughs> he said, well, we, we were all inside your head and now we're all standing in front of you. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a brilliant line because it was, like, it was, it was a strange, strange moment watching Grace on television because I... They, the casting was so brilliant. They looked so much like like the cast I had in mind. Like how you pictured them. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I need to ask because today is the day of the Queen's funeral, and I know that we were talking before the show, and you've actually met the Queen a few times, and Camilla has the Royal Reading Room and has featured you. Do you want to... Tell us about your your connection to the royals. 
Sure. Well, I, I, my kind of first connection is that my mother Cornelia uh, made the Queen's gloves from the, from, the, from the from her wedding in 1947, right through her life. Wow. And my sister now runs that business. Um, and I remember uh, the, the Queen had a very uh, Queen was bless her. Uh, you know, she wore gloves always, and, and she's in the Guinness Book of Records having shaken the most number of hands in one day, and that was in our class. And of course, the gloves get wear and tear. So her dresser, who was quite frugal, would send them back to our factory for repair. Now, my mum was a Jewish refugee from Vienna, and she was incredibly grateful to England, you know, when she arrived in 1938. And she was an ardent royalist. So when they came in for repair, she wouldn't allow anybody in the factory touch those gloves. Um, and one of my strongest childhood memories is just her sitting in front of the television on a Sunday evening with a pair, one of the Queen's gloves and a needle and thread making the repair herself. Uh, and that's wow. she repaired everyone herself. Um, and the last time I met her was in 2012. At the, it was the bicentenary of Charles Dickens's birthday. And the Queen hosted a reception at Buckingham Palace. And I, I ended up on a one-to-one talking to her. She's tiny. She's much smaller than people realize. But incredibly, you know you're in the presence of a truly great person when, when, you, when you are standing in front of her. And I said, you know, do you, what do you like to read? And she looked at me very ruefully. She said, you know, said, I just don't get the time. She said, I have to read so many official papers every day. I, so when I do get a chance, I love to read Kipling. Um, and then about, about five years ago. Very old school. <laughs> yeah, very old school. And then about five years ago, a friend of mine emailed me and said, go out, buy a copy of today's Daily Mail right now. So I went out and bought the paper. And there, like, the third page was a photograph of Camilla, uh, our new Queen Consort, as, as of the Queen's death, in her office with a row of books behind her. And right prominent were six of my Roy Grace novels. And... Uh, she, and the article, she was talking about writers, and she said, Peter James is one of my favorite two crime authors. Oh, my uh, gosh. So I, wrote, I wrote and thanked her, and she wrote me a handwritten letter back. And since then, she's written off, she writes me a letter after every, every book. We have a kind of regular kind of correspondence, and she's absolutely charming. And then she had this fantastic initiative at the start of COVID, to start a reading, a book club, and she called it the Duchess's Reading Room. And as you rightly said, it's now changed to the Royal Reading Room. And she takes an author and features them for two, two weeks. It's on Instagram. You can you can access it uh, if you just go oh. Royal Reading Room. And last October, she chose my Roy Grace novels, and she features you for two weeks. And we were in the middle of filming Grace down at Shoreham Harbour, a, a harbourside scene. And she said, "I'd love to come down and see the filming." So. She came down with her entourage. Um, the harbour was good because it was quite a, a safe place and they could seal it all off. And, and, and when you get sent before a royal visit, you, know, you get sent the whole itinerary. And it was you know, 11.05, helicopter lands. 11.15, she arrives by car at the harbour. She will interview <laughs> you until 11.45. And so, uh, 11.45 to 12 o'clock, she will meet the cast and crew uh, 12 to 10 past 12, she'll watch some filming. 12.10 to 12.30, she'll have a private on her own, have her lunch, and then goes on to her next appointment. 
So anyway, mm-hmm. we had this surreal interview, and we're sitting in a, this w- upstairs in this warehouse with two wooden chairs, <laughs> similar to <laughs> myself. And there, you know, there was a Lord Lieutenant standing there and a ladies in the way, and we were having a right laugh. And she knew, she was asking me questions about Roy Grace books, but I couldn't have remembered. You know, she had a truly encyclopedic knowledge. Uh, and then I, I took her on the, you know, I took her to meet all the cast and crew, and she shook hands with everybody, charmed them. Uh, and then we get to the end, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll leave you to go have your lunch now. She said, no, no, come and join me. So we went back into the warehouse, oh. sat in these wooden chairs again, and she produced a thermos flask, <laughs> a banana, and, and one of the ladies in waiting produced some sandwiches, and they gave me one. So I sat eating a sandwich while um, <laughs> our, our, our queen was eating a banana and drinking her soup. She was a delight, <laughs> just the nicest. And did she did she want to know what happened to Sandy? Yep, she did. Uh, <laughs> and I said, well, I, 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 I usually tell people that I'd have to kill them, and I won't say that to you, Your Highness. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, I hate that we're running out of time, but I know you have another appointment right after this. But really quickly, how can readers get in touch with you? Are you on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram? Yes, Where should I'm, they find I'm on, you? If you? If you go to my website, which is easy, it's peterjames.com. That gives you links to my Facebook, to Twitter, Instagram, and also to my YouTube channel, um, which a lot of anybody who's a budding author might find useful. I've, I've interviewed, I think I've yes. interviewed you for I've interviewed Yeah, about I'm on there. Yeah, you are. Lisa Kessler, George R.R. R. Martin, Lee Child, us, all, everybody answering kind of the short interviews, answering questions, giving writing tips, uh, you know, how they write. So it's, it's, I've made it just, it's free, completely free. Just, just, just click on it. And that's a, a great resource for, for writers. I, I, I love, I, I particularly like um, one writer, I'm trying to think, John Lesquat. And, and I, I asked him, I said, do you have a ritual before you start writing? And he said, yeah. He said, every day I have to tidy my sock drawer. <laughs> and once that's done, then I can write. <laughs> Then I write my bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks so much for being here, Peter. I really appreciate it. It was so much fun to catch up with you again, and we'll have to do it again. You bet. It's always great fun to talk to you, and I think it's great what you're doing. And good luck with Perfect. Thank you so much, and talk to you soon. Yeah, take care. Thanks for you joining too. us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.